0: Let us pray. O oh, Holy Spirit of God, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for Thee. Amen. Amen. So good to be with you this morning. What a crowd and what a, what a good-looking crowd. Smiling, freshly scrubbed class of confirmands you have. <laughs> they are they are ready. I spent a few minutes with them before the service, and the and the and they knew uh, they knew every move I was going to make and every word I was going to say already. They're prepared. So, on with it. Uh, I hope you'll uh, hope you'll excuse me. I, I I brought both my my wife Marie with me this morning, but I also brought. My German Shepherd, because she heard that this was Shepherding Sunday, and uh, she wanted to be here in case I said something bad about the dog in the field with the sheep. So just know why she's here. She's just checking up on me. Um, We have some great lessons this morning, and one in particular I want to focus on is from the book of Revelation. It's this magnificent scene that uh, John paints for us. Of of the kingdom of God, with with a throng, a multitude so great that it can't be counted, a lot like the size of the congregation here today, um, and and they they represent every nation, every tribe, every race, every denomination from the world, and they're around the throne of God and they're singing His praises, and uh, and. John sees them and he says, who, who are these folks, by the way? And, and, and the answer comes, they are the ones who've been through the trial. They're the ones who've been tried on earth and have come to know and believe and trust in Jesus Christ. And what's the result of that? Their, their, their sins have been washed away. Their robes are now sparkling, spotless white as they stand before God. Why? Because their sins have been forgiven. They have been restored to unity with each other and with God. Now, that's an important message for this Easter season and for the theme of our of all of our scripture readings, of our teaching, of our preaching during Easter because this season centers around one thing in particular and that is the absolute necessity of believing in and being convicted of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ after his crucifixion on that awful Friday. Remember the lessons as we go back through, uh, through the Easter season. Sunday after Easter, we always talk about Thomas. And what's Thomas saying? He was saying, well, I wasn't here last week to see the evidence. You've got to prove the resurrection to me again. And what does Jesus do? He shows him the physical evidence. But there we are in a room full of witnesses who've already seen it. And you and I are hearing through this season and through the life of the church exactly the same testimony that Thomas heard. And that is that we saw him. It was the Jesus whom we knew. He has now risen from the dead. And because of that, we have new life and new meaning and a new mission. Then you remember there was that, that great lesson, I, I think the next Sunday or so, uh, in the Easter season, uh, from the book of Acts, about how the disciples were being arrested and pulled in before the temple authorities because they persisted in preaching the gospel. The authorities were getting scared of them. They kind of felt the ground crumbling under their feet, religiously speaking, because so many people were being captivated by and claimed by and coming to believe in the gospel message. And what was the message those first disciples preached? It was a simple message. It always began with and was built on the fact of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. His resurrection was the foundation of everything that those early disciples proclaimed. And that's That's why this morning we come to this heavenly scene with the the multitude gathered around the throne proclaiming the glory of God and praising Jesus because their lives have been claimed by that message. That's why their robes are now sparkling white. That's why their relationships with one another and God have been restored. That's why they are enjoying new life in the presence of God. The words of uh, the very first sermon by Paul that Luke ever records in the book of Acts go like this. It says, He stood up and he motioned with his hand, Men of Israel, that is the Jews among you, and those who are here because you fear God. In other words, those of you who aren't necessarily Jewish by birth, but you're in the synagogue listening to me because you want to know about God to us has been sent the message of salvation. His words, those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers could charge him, that is Jesus, with nothing deserving death. Yet they asked Pilate to have him killed. And when this was accomplished, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He appeared to the disciples who are witnesses to this. And we bring you the good news that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the fundamental sermon. That's the fundamental sermon of the early church. And I would insist you today that ought to be the fundamental sermon in this church. And in all the churches that claim to be Christian. Jesus died on the cross. And on the third day was raised from the dead. Appeared to his followers. And Because of that, we may dwell with him for eternity. Now, no other religion, no other religion puts everything on the line for a single historical event the way that Christianity does with the resurrection. All religions are historical in the sense that they began at a certain time and certain place and usually with a certain teacher or prophet. But Christianity's relationship to history is that if this singular event on a Sunday morning, 2019, 2000, whatever, I can't subtract, well, years ago, didn't happen, then we might as well close up shop and go home. We might as well close up shop and go home. These men, the earliest preachers in the church, the ones who called forth that multitude to stand before the throne in heaven, they spoke about objective facts. They didn't risk their lives in order to teach a mere theory or a philosophy of life or a system of morals. They didn't drop everything in order to go out and tell the world to put into practice the principles of the Sermon on the Mount as as lovely as they are and much as I love to preach them. They weren't consumed with a passion to tell everyone to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as, as great as that is. As important as all of these things were, this wasn't the message that turned the world upside down and made the ground crumble under the religious authorities' feet. Now, having said all that, the question is why? Why was this so important to the early disciples? Why is it so important to you and me? Well, two reasons. In the first place, the historic resurrection proves to us who Jesus Christ is. If he died on a cross and that's the end of the story, then he's a great teacher, he's a great prophet, he's like Muhammad or Buddha or Gandhi or any other great historical figure. But his resurrection, rising from the dead, being seen after the resurrection, reveals the truth of his divinity and establishes him as king of kings and lord of lords, gives that that multitude singing before his heavenly throne calls to break into song. Now, for us, this is the truth. This is the central truth of our faith. We've, We've kind of lost the concept of truth in our world today, it seems like at times. I I have a good friend who told me once that, that he had a conversation with a parishioner of his after a church meeting who said, uh, you know, I, Father, I, I've always maintained that you have your religious truth and I have mine and they have theirs and they're all true and no one can tell the other guy he's wrong. Have you heard people talk about my truth and your truth? You've heard that kind of talk. Well, my, my friend responded, really? No one's wrong? he said, right, no one's wrong. And my friend said, well, I claim that Jesus of Nazareth is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And the parishioner said, well, I just can't believe that. And my friend responded, but I thought you said no one was wrong. Well, if Christ has been raised from the dead, then clearly salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved. That's from one of Peter's first sermons. So first, the resurrection proves who Jesus is, who Christ is. Secondly, the resurrection was vital Because they understood that it validated the cross. It validated the cross, the way in which Jesus died. Can't can't we see that the resurrection now proves that, that his death means what he claimed it was going to mean? And that is victory over sin and over death. The whole biblical doctrine of forgiveness through Jesus sacrificial death on the cross hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead that's why Paul preached these words let it be known to you therefore that through the risen Christ through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by him everyone that believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the laws of Moses It's a wonderful thing about our faith. Most religions give us a set of rules. Most religions tell us what we've got to do in order to set ourselves right with God. But Peter preaches, Paul preaches, the early disciples preached, and it's preached from this pulpit week in and week out that it's not what we do, that this is all about sheer gift. Most people drive down the road past a Christian church and they see what's being proclaimed and often they're right as as a burdensome, dreary attempt to be good. An hour on Sunday morning filled with good advice for life. Well, I would do, if that was what was being proclaimed from my pulpit, exactly what my dog's doing now. I would fall sound asleep. (laughs) That's not why we come to church. We come to hear about the gift of God, the wonderful things He's done, the way that He's changed our lives, and the way that He'll change the lives of our friends, our families, our neighbors, our colleagues at work, the way He can change the life of the world if only we will accept the gift He has given us. His resurrection proves finally that death itself has died. Oh, we can, we can prolong the process, you know, but we're eventually going to die. But having died, the promise in Jesus Christ is that we can then know eternal life with him. I suspect we're all more bothered by death than we admit, and it hits close to the life of this congregation today and the life of the <laughs> beloved mother of your Associate rector. Um, Death is an awful thing. And we all need to be rescued from it. And in Jesus Christ, in his death, death has been ended once and for all for those who will believe and trust in him who though they are dead, yet shall they live forever. This same marvelous message, the message of the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and of the salvation that is promised to him, to us through him, still has the power to turn the world upside down. In our church today, may we pray that we can recapture the passion, the meaning, the belief of our first preachers, And reach out with conviction and zeal to millions of men and women starving for the truth that will set them ultimately free. That is our message. That, incidentally, is the reason that these pews are full and that our confirmation class is so large today. Because that message has captured you, has captivated us And is changing our world. And for those wonderful things. We say thanks be to God. Amen.